0: K up Podcast is sponsored by Pharma, where the 140,000 researchers with America's biopharmaceutical companies are finding new cures and treatments for diseases like hepatitis C, HIV, and diabetes. Visit goboldly.com. Hi, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to K up Eric Holder, the former attorney general of the United States, is now the chairman of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. He's targeting key races around the country in the hopes of setting conditions for fairer redistricting in 2021. We get into what's at stake in Georgia, the controversy over his kick em comment.
1: When they go low, we kick him.
0: And his views on Kanye and what President Trump should have done. Hear it all right now former Attorney General Eric Holder. Welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be here, Jonathan. So before I get into the the conversation I want to have with you, I do want to get your reaction to the murder of our Washington Post opinions colleague, Jamal Khashoggi. Um, How damaging is the administration's um, reaction to America's standing in the world? And how damaging is it to our institutions at home?
1: Well, I'd say that the reaction of the administration so far has been distressing um, to not um, come out in a more forceful way against uh, that which I think everybody could see from the beginning was uh, was a murder um, and has now been admitted to have been a, a-, a murder and. Um, We'll have to see, you know, what the investigation actually shows, who ultimately is uh, responsible, who's held responsible for it. But I think the administration's response um, has not been as fulsome as it needed to be. You know, um, Secretary Pompeo um, going over there and that photo op um, was not something that I think was uh, was appropriate.
0: And, and how damaging is it to our institutions at home that uh, an American resident who is a journalist Writing for the Washington Post, one of the nation's preeminent newspapers, can go into a consulate and be murdered.
1: Yeah, I mean it's unbelievably um, distressing. It's um, it's something that the administration needs to focus on. And you know, when the president says things like the press is the enemy of the people, when the press go when the uh, president goes to Montana and celebrates the uh, the fact that you know, a sitting congressman who I guess then was then a candidate, uh, body slammed and punched um, a reporter and ultimately pled guilty um, to, to doing that in, in a criminal context. That uh, When you celebrate those kinds of things, when you say though, those kinds of things, you potentially put at risk, um, you know, reporters. And you certainly put the United States on uh, the wrong side of the interaction uh, of the media with uh, the regimes that they're trying to cover.
0: So the last time you were on the podcast, you were just starting the redistricting effort. You're the chairman of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. Now you're about to have your first test case with the midterms. You've been traveling around the country. What are you hearing on the ground?
1: Well, I'm hearing that people are really enthused about uh, this election, um, that people are concerned about the ways in which um, the things that they're going to have to go through in order to cast a ballot. Uh, I think people are Legitimately worried that although the enthusiasm level is there, that there are going to be barriers put in place um, for people to get to the polls. We've certainly seen that in North Dakota. Uh, We have seen that as well in in Georgia. Um, And, you know, this is consistent with what the Republicans have done. Over the course of the last decade with the gerrymandered power that they um, gave to themselves after 2011, they have put in place these unnecessary photo ID laws and other things that uh, have been attempts to keep people um, away from the polls.
0: Can we talk more about uh, more about Georgia? Because everyone's talking about the story of the 53000 applications that are sitting on Brian Kemp's desk, um, have a hold on them. So they may or not may or may not be able To vote and he's he's the secretary of state of Georgia, but he's also the Republican gubernatorial nominee. How is that even how's that legal or even ethical?
1: Well, that's like LeBron James being in a game for the Lakers and saying, I not only want to wear number 23 and be a player for the Lakers, I also want to wear a referee's jersey. And I want to make sure that I call fouls um, and make determinations about the conduct of the game while I'm still a player. So it seems to me that what uh, Secretary of State Kemp needs to do is to resign. He needs to to step aside and let somebody else um, serve as the acting Secretary of State as long as he is a, a governor, a gubernatorial. What,
0: he, what if he doesn't do that? I mean, is there any recourse?
1: Well, you know, we still have the courts um, and lawsuits have been filed to try to make sure that the election is conducted in a in a fair way. But the reality is that the courts are reacting to things that the secretary of state will or will not do. And the better thing would be for him to simply take himself out of that, uh, take himself out of that office.
0: Did you hear the story about the, the African-American churchgoers who were on the bus and they were going to go vote? And I was out of the country when this happened, but... But people were saying, have you seen this story? Do you know the details of that? What happened there?
1: Yeah, I don't know all of the details. All I know is that you had a group of uh, senior um, African-Americans who wanted to go to the cast a ballot. They were in a a bus uh, of some sort. And then at some level, I think at the local county level, a a determination made that at least they said uh, out of consideration for their safety, they were turned back. And it's that consideration for their safety. For their safety. That's, that's what they said. Now, and that's the kind of thing that worries me. Um, things that are kind of neutral on their face, concern for senior citizens in transportation, um, can be used as a ruse to keep um, African-Americans away from the polls. And, uh, you know, when you see things like uh, photo ID laws, they are kind of neutral sounding, neutral sounding on, on their face, but the impact of them, the disproportionate impact uh, that they have on African-Americans is something that you always have to keep into consideration in the same way that, you know, a, a poll tax seems like it's kind of, you know, neutral sounding literacy tests, again, neutral sounding. But, you know, you knew what the impact of those mechanisms was uh, was on um, on African-Americans keeping them away from the polls. And so we see these modern day um, techniques, again, with the aim, the intention of keeping uh, people of color away from the polls.
0: Uh, also, how many bubbles are there in a bar of soap, all those ridiculous, ridiculous tests meant to ke- to keep African-Americans from voting. You know, I keep thinking ab- uh, about the Supreme Court decision that gu- gutted the, the Voting Rights Act and Chief Justice Roberts' rationale that, well, we don't need this anymore because basically racism's gone.
1: Right. It's time. You know, I, I'd like to speak to the five members of the court Uh, who gutted the Voting Rights Act in the Shelby County decision and asked them, what do you think now? I mean, what do you really think now on the basis of what you've seen happen in a variety of states inconsistent with... um, what you said, Mr. Chief Justice, with regard to what you thought uh, where racism was in this nation. I think that, uh, you know, Ch- uh, Justice Ginsburg really had it the best in uh, in her dissent when she said, you know, just because uh, you have an umbrella over your head and that keeps you um, dry in a rainstorm doesn't mean that you should, you know, take the umbrella away, because if you do, you're going to get wet. And this um, what we have seen, post-Shelby County, uh, I think is totally consistent with what the minority in that decision predicted was going to happen.
0: So as part of the NDRC, you're targeting 12 states uh, for for November 6th. Um, there's 10 gubernatorial races, 19 legislative chambers, four ballot initiatives, and six down-ballot races. Now, these are very specific numbers, um, very exact numbers. Why? Why
1: focused on on these particular races? Well, what we wanted to try to do, we did a fifty state analysis, and what we tried to do was to say, let's try to figure out where we can have the greatest impact, the biggest bang for um, our buck, come twenty twenty one. And so we identified twelve target states. We identified races within those states, all with the, the notion of putting in place, uh, putting uh, putting in place people who would be critical to the redistricting process in twenty twenty one. Governors um, always matter. Um, state legislators always matter. But again, if you go state by state, you'll find that the state auditor in Ohio really has an outsized influence with regard to redistricting the state secretary of state in Ohio. Um, sometimes Supreme Court justices, certainly in Wisconsin and in North Carolina. And so we have picked those races. You had a success
0: in Wisconsin, right? Yes. You got involved. When, when we talked back in February, you were just about to go to Wisconsin to campaign for one of the judicial uh, nominees. Yeah, we've had a number of
1: successes in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. Um, We supported uh, when Scott Walker did not want to have called special elections to fill uh, two senatorial, state senatorial seats, people who had joined his cabinet. We sued him one there, then fill those seats with uh, Democrats. And then we also campaigned successfully for um, a woman who was running for an open Wisconsin Supreme Court seat, Rebecca Dallet. Uh, she was elected, first time uh, a Democrat has been elected in an, uh, an off-year election for Wisconsin Supreme Court since 1995.
0: Hmm. Uh, so keep going. I, inter- I interrupted you with my Wisconsin interjection. But um, again, pick up on why you're focused on, on these very specific.
1: Because we want to make sure that come 2021, we have at the table, making the decisions on how the lines are drawn, uh, the people with the greatest amount of power. Um, again, governors, state legislators, people uh, in different positions in, in, in different states. But we're only trying to have a fair process. Uh, I want people to understand this. This is not an attempt to gerrymander for Democrats.
0: I mean, Democratic is in the name.
1: Yeah. And maybe we should have done a better you know job of... Coming up with uh, with a name, uh, it's it is the National Democratic Redistricting um, Committee, but really this is, from my perspective, a partisan attempt at good government. Uh, we want to have a fair process come twenty twenty one, and if we have a fair process, I am really confident enough of the people who we are supporting, Democrats, um, the policy positions that. Um, uh, Democrats and progressives are, are taking that will do just fine in, in that process. And, you know, I think one of the real tests of that is that we, that is Democrats, are saying that we ought to take this out of the political process altogether, that we should have in place these independent commissions. Uh, sort of as, like California. Yeah, they have them in Arizona and in California. And we're supporting four ballot initiatives in Michigan, Missouri, Colorado, and Utah that would create um, independent commissions there and uh, do the redistricting in that way. and take Because in too many places now, we have a, a situation where politicians are picking their voters instead of citizens choosing their representatives. Now, this is something that the NDRC um, supports. And I think that's, in some ways, the biggest indication of us wanting a, a neutral process. I've not heard... Any Republicans come out in support of these uh, independent commissions other than Arnold Schwarzenegger, to his credit, he has been campaigning for this.
0: Um, can, Can the California model and the Arizona model actually work in other places? I mean, do other states actually have the political will to follow in the footsteps of those two very different states?
1: yeah I think they certainly can work, and the political will is certainly evidenced by the fact that uh in Michigan, for instance, they had to have i don 't think like four hundred five hundred thousand um people to uh, put the ballot and sign up to put the initiative uh, on the ballot and they had i don't know overwhelming they went well past that four five hundred thousand number so this is something that w- that the people support when they are made to understand that um, unfair redistricting has an impact on the gerrymandering has an impact on their day-to-day lives, whether it has to do with, um, you know, uh, insane gun safety measures, um, reproductive choice, um, climate, um, you know, gerrymandering, um, voter suppression. People get excited about having uh, control put back in in their hands and making sure that their representatives uh, reflect their desires. So we've got to talk about you were down in Georgia. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you were. Were you down in Georgia for and for NDRC, or were you there for Stacey Abrams, the gubernatorial candidate, or both?
1: Both. I was there for uh, NDRC in support of. Uh Stacey, as well as in support of the legislative candidates who we have uh, decided to support in uh, in Georgia, and
0: and it was there the the the, the comments, the video seen around the world, where you said when when they go low, we kick them. You did say you did not mean anything inappropriate and anything uh, unlawful or or illegal, but it did just sort of take off like wild wildfire. Um, Republicans in particular saying that you were um, being uncivil. So uh, do your critics have a point or do you or do you think they're desperate?
1: No, they are. They're desperate and they're trying to come up with a distraction. Um, What I said there is what I feel, which is that uh, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be strong and I'm going to forcefully oppose uh, any person or any organization that wants to undermine our democracy Um, and that we have to be mindful of what uh, Republicans are doing, whether you look at what's going on in in North Dakota, what's going on in in, in Georgia. uh, And we have got to be forceful, tough in our responses to that. And so if they decide that they want to do inappropriate things, we have to make sure that we fight them at uh, at every uh, in every way that we possibly can. Now and you know and the reaction to it was something that was you know generated this kind of this this fake um, this fake outrage by republicans. It's really kind of amazing to hear republicans talk about we need more civility I mean, in in, really? in, our, in our in our politics. <laughs> um, so there is that But I think what they're also trying to do and what the president is trying to do is to make sure, tell voters, you know, look over here. Don't look at, you know, this tax cut that um, this is supposed to be their chief legislative um, achievement. Right. And they don't want to talk about it. They
0: don't talk about it. They're not running on it. They're not doing commercials on it. In fact, there are more commercials from Republicans about health care right. and how they say they want to protect pre-existing conditions.
1: Right. They that, well, but, they say they want to protect pre-existing conditions, and yet I think it's 20 Republican states are now suing to uh, you know, repeal Obamacare mm-hmm. that would take these pre-existing condition protections away from people. They have no alternative to it, uh, but they know that they've gotten caught. They see that the American people care about the protection uh, for, against pre-existing conditions being a factor in the health care uh, insurance determination. And so now they are trying to glom on to uh, this notion that they, are, they care about pre-existing conditions when, in fact, they don't. Because if they did, they wouldn't have brought uh, this lawsuit that Scott Walker and other governors um, are supportive
0: of. The Cape Up podcast is sponsored by Pharma where the 140,000 researchers with America's biopharmaceutical companies are finding new cures and treatments for diseases like hepatitis C, HIV, and diabetes. So here's to the fearlessness to fail so success can follow, and to the patients helping to find the breakthrough that might save their lives, and perhaps one day, yours. Welcome to the new era of medicine, where together we go boldly. A message from America's biopharmaceutical companies. Visit GoBoldly.com. Here's the thing that I'm I'm, that's sort of confusing to me. So we've gone through all of this craziness with um, the nomination of Justice Kavanaugh, the president's crazy incendiary tweet of the hour. And yet the polls that are out right now show that his approval rating is up. And in fact, now it is two points higher than President Obama's approval rating was at this point in his presidency. Uh, why do you think his approval rating is going up when, just by all objective measures, you just, you, if you believe you're lying highs, you would think that he would still be mired in the in the 30s, if not lower? Well, you know,
1: I, with all re- due respect to those people who conduct Polls. <laughs> I remember 2016, and as far as I know, that number that you're talking about is reflected in one poll. Um, now he has seen, I think, an uptick in his popularity. I guess over the last you know couple of weeks or so. But the test will ultimately be what happens on November the sixth, because I think November the sixth is—it's a conglomeration of things. There are certainly um, local issues that are going to have to be decided, but it's also a, a referendum about uh, the direction of this country and the stewardship of this country by um, by this president. And it'll be interesting to see what we uh, how we look at the election results on November the seventh. Mm-hmm. That I think will be the, the ultimate poll.
0: I want to go go back to the whole fight thing because um, over the weekend. I moderated a very interesting panel with Kathy Griffin, the comedian actress who got into a lot of trouble over a photograph that she had of President Trump, and Michael Avenatti, who is the lawyer of Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Stormy Daniels, who is all up in President Trump's face at every given moment giving as good as he's getting and he said at Politicon that democrats need to be willing to fight trump and i'm paraphrasing here and he said that if you don't if you don't fight him you'll never get the chance to govern and that sort of echoes the point you were making in georgia no
1: yeah i mean we have to take on um this president, we have to take on this Republican Party. Uh, we have to be proud to be Democrats. We need to be forceful in um, advancing, you know, these great democratic um, ideas that we have to to serve the people. We have to be proud of our history um, as Democrats. You know, Democrats were and still are and will continue to be the party of uh, the common man, the common woman. And, um, you know, there shouldn't be any half steps about this. This is not a time for triangulation. This is a time for us to be um, strong in our defense of uh, Democratic Party principles. Um, We
0: had the president of Common Cause um, here talking about something that I don't think most people knew was even a thing until uh, we brought it to their attention. And that's the idea of a constitutional convention that – you know, conservatives in particular have been pushing on the question of a balanced budget amendment. But um, as was discussed, once you get a constitutional convention going, all hell could and most likely will break loose. You know about this. So um, are are we being hyperbolic here in the concern?
1: Well, we've never had a constitutional convention. And so, God only knows what could happen if one were called. But if one were called, um, that convention could essentially um, consider anything. Uh, and, you know, you, you, they say they're concerned about a balanced budget amendment. They could, you know, put amendments to the Constitution that deal with every conceivable aspect of um, American American life. That's why the process up to now has always been to consider an amendment to the Constitution Um Point by you know, amendment by amendment, as opposed to just opening the uh the whole process up and really uh subjecting our constitution to you know wholesale revision, that prospect um scares me mm-hmm. um i don 't think and it is one of the reasons why I would be opposed to a constitutional convention on the other hand, um there are specific constitutional things I think we need to consider. Uh, for instance, um, limiting the number of years that a Supreme Court justice serves you know we have life tenure now I think they ought to serve maybe three senatorial terms, 18 years uh, oh. unelected people serving for 30 years that I think is too much power um, in an individual, especially when that person doesn't have to face um, face uh, face the voters. Um, how
0: damaging was it that Justice Kavanaugh's 45 minute, uh, response to Doctor Christine Blasey Ford. How damaging was that to the Supreme Court and also the the notion of the independence of the judiciary?
1: Yeah, I thought that uh, I thought that was extremely damaging, um, both for his uh, I thought his nomination and also, uh, writ large, um, the legitimacy of, of the court. I mean, that statement that he made about you know the left wing coming after him. I guess the Clintons coming after him revealed a partisan side of a person who now sits on the United States Supreme Court and um, that gives me concern you want to have the court to be seen as a neutral and detached um, component of our of our government and I think he revealed himself to be um, quite partisan in his in his views uh, we'll have to see you know what he does as a justice, um, how the court deals with a variety the variety of questions that it undoubtedly will have to consider uh, during his time. Um, on the Supreme Court bench, but uh, that his revelation of himself um, during the confirmation hearings is something that gives me great concern. Now, when you were Attorney General, and,
0: and even after, you always said that LGBT equality was the civil rights issue of our time, and the New York Times is now reporting that the Trump administration is looking to define in law uh, what gender identity, and basically making it clear that whatever genitalia you're born with, that is the sex by which you will be identified. I would love to get your your reaction to that.
1: Well, you know, the question is why? There's no hue and cry um, out there that this position needs to be um, advanced. I think this is really just a naked attempt at trying to create a wedge issue, um, a, a, an issue that for whatever reason the president and his supporters think think might be um, politically advantageous um, to them. It is inconsistent with, I think, you know, if you, you look at the polling of, of uh, the, the American people, they are they're supportive of, um, you know, LGBTQ um, equality. This would take us back. And, um, you know, it, I think it is something that is, uh, it, it's not, Anything more than a political attempt by um, this administration uh, to divide us as a, as a people? Um, I've
0: said many times on the podcast, on television, in in writing, that the Parkland kids. It seems as though greatness jumped fifty years. That we had the the John Lewis generation, the Malone generation, and now we've got the generation of. Emma Gonzalez and the Parkland kids. uh, Am I wrong to think of them that way? Just the sheer activism that they showed right in the middle of tragedy and and on to me is still awe-inspiring.
1: No, I think it is inspiring, and I think it's the thing that ultimately gives me hope. Um, These are young people who are committed to um, civic activism, uh, who are going to be responsible um, activists, who care about this nation? And it might be, you know, um, gun safety measures that brought them together. But my 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 sense is that they are going to be um, concerned about a whole range of of issues. Uh, and these are young people who are not who don't carry the baggage that, um, you know, that my generation necessarily carries. And so when we're talking about LGBTQ uh, issues, I think they're in a fundamentally different place than generations um, before them. I think that they're going to take this nation uh, in a progressive direction. And I think that's one of the reasons why you see the Republican Party trying to hold on as best they can with all of these um, these gerrymandering efforts, with these unfair voter um, efforts, because they see, that the future is slipping away from them, and they want to hold on to the past, um, the power that they generated in the past um, by any means that they that they possibly can, and so that's why they use all of these electoral means to hold on to power that is not uh, deservedly theirs.
0: Okay, we 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 have to talk about this, mm-hmm. Eric. We we have to talk about him, Kanye.
1: What what was that? You know, oh. th- 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 he, I. It was it was painful to watch. Um, he was used by the president. And I'm not as critical about him as I might be if you look at just his words, which are just crazy. I mean, repealing you know, the 13th Amendment and all those kinds of things. Because I think that he's a person who is who's sick. I mean, I really do think that. I, I do think that— um, He's a person who's battling with emotional uh, disorders, you know, mental disabilities. Uh, And so I I temper my my criticism of him uh, with that in mind. But to see the president of the United States there um, listening to to that with cameras, you know, all around him uh, is an indication of who this president is and the lengths to which he'll go to exploit, um, you know, individuals um, for his own political purpose.
0: Was it surprising to you that, one, this meeting happened at all uh, in the Oval Office in front of the Resolute Desk, but two, that the President of the United States didn't take one look at what was happening and think to say, hey, you know what, Kanye, come, come with me. Let me take you into to my private office. No one is ever in there. And let me show you all my TVs and just pull him out of the situation and and call an end to it. And instead,
1: he didn't. I mean, that would have been an empathetic thing to do. Um, That would have been a a kind thing to do. But I think we have seen that this president doesn't necessarily have uh, any degree, the normal degree of empathy that you'd have, um, or or the ability to assess a situation and see it from anything other than his own perspective. Um, From my perspective, I would have seen, um, you know, a young man, a talented artist who is in— uh, distress and I would have done have done exactly what you suggested find some way to you know kind of call it off and say well thank you very much Kanye for for sharing you know what you have shared with us I I just want to continue this conversation in private and let's step aside let's step out of the oval office and have a, a further conversation in my uh, in my private office
0: so you have thought about things in the manner of now if I were president of the <laughs> United States this is how I would have gone about it so but you what you' thinking
1: well, I'm thinking right now, November the sixth um that we need to have people come out and vote um all over the country, certainly in those twelve target states that we are focused on at n d r c um November the seventh, I will really start to focus on my decision about whether i'm going to run um for president in my as I've said in the past, I think I'll make up my mind um early next year mm mm-hmm. and and what's on that on that checklist
0: of of things and and this is a serious question because this is a a serious Thing to consider: running for president isn't just—it's not some hobby that you you do for two years of your life and you know pray for the best. Right. There's serious considerations involved. So, give me the top three considerations.
1: Well, certainly family considerations. I mean, this is something that um, would involve not only me but members of my family as well. And so, I need to make sure that this is something they would be supportive of. I've also got to make uh, you know do a self assessment and make sure that. Um, I feel confident that uh, were I to run, that I could offer up um, solutions to the problems that this nation um, has to is, is, is still confronting, um, you know, and then, then make a kind of, you know, a, just a political determination. Do I think that I could generate the necessary support um, to win? I wouldn't. I wouldn't go into this with the thought that I simply wanted to make a statement. I would only go into this um, with the thought that I could win. And so those are the kinds of considerations that I think I'll have to go through, um, you know, after after November the 6th. So Everybody get out there and vote on November the 6th.
0: And and one last question on this. So um, if you were to get into into the race, you you wouldn't be afraid to to fight President Trump like he sends out a tweet, he attacks you on the stump. Are you going you gonna to ignore him or are you going to go out there, go toe to toe?
1: you got to be strategic. Um, there are certain things that you're going to ignore, but there's a, an awful lot that you have to simply push back on. He's from Queens, I'm from Queens. He's from New York, I'm from New York. Um, I, I've dealt with guys like Donnie from Queens before. And, uh, you know, I, I know how to handle guys like him. And so to the extent that he would come after uh, me, you know, you wouldn't respond to everything, but there are going to be certain things that uh, he would throw at you that you would have to push back on. Um, you don't want to get down in the gutter with him at the same time. Um, you simply don't, you know, turn the other cheek. Um, somebody you know, tries to get at you, you get back at, the, you get back at them.
0: Eric Holder, former attorney general of the United States and chairman of the National Democratic Redistricting Committee. Thank you very much for coming back to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Jonathan. Always a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate and review us. I'm Jonathan K Part of the Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at KPartJ.